0: Well, thank you, David, and good afternoon to you all. It is great to be here. It really is uh, great to see you all. Um, The only disappointment is my wife couldn't come uh, today, and uh, we've had COVID. In fact, the last two weeks, we've had 30 people in our church get COVID in the last two weeks, so it kind of has ripped through uh, a little bit, and um, uh, my wife, Amber, is on her final day of isolation today, And she was extremely disappointed um, because she was very much looking forward to being here uh, today. Um, But in Amber's absence, I have actually brought along my parents, my mum and dad, who were uh, back there. Now, some of you uh, will remember um, way back in 2001 when my dad uh, and my mum moved back to Cardiff after many years away from South Wales to plant this church. And that was way back in 2001. In fact, Char- is Charlotte around here? She's just she's just gone out. That, that was around the time Charlotte was born. My niece, uh, Charlotte over there. So long, long time ago. And then uh, and then we met Dave a couple of years later, and, and Michelle. And then there was Dan and Larry. And then there was uh, the Buffton family, who were very sort of early on. And I could sort of and the loft houses, and I could sort of go through um, a lot of people here over the years. And um, it was around about, uh, gosh, it's testing my memory now, I think about 2009 that I uh, became the pastor here at the church, and it was about 2018 that the Lord moved us on uh, to Oxford, which was a very difficult uh, decision, and we were very uh, sad to leave. Um, but, uh, but the Lord knows what he's doing. That's kind of one thing that I've, I've realized. Um, I, I will happily confess that I don't always know what I'm doing. Um, I'm I'm not always sure that uh, I've got things right or or sorted, but one thing I have learned over the last 20 years is the Lord has it all sorted. He knows, and we just need to trust him and keep moving forward, walking by faith uh, day by day, and uh, really walking in the goodness of the Lord because the Lord is good. The Lord is good. Uh, His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. Uh, Well, uh, this morning, or not this morning, is it? It's this afternoon. This is, you know, I caught it from Dave. Um, I know. Uh, This afternoon, you don't normally speak on this afternoon. This is a new experience for me, actually. Uh, It's usually morning and evening, isn't it? Um, But uh, uh, if you have your Bible, please open up to the book of Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. And we're going to be looking this afternoon at a a couple of wonderful verses here in a portion of Colossians chapter 2, in which the Apostle Paul is expounding what it means that we are complete in Christ. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ here this morning, you are complete. You are complete in Christ. Christ. And the aspect of completeness that we are going to be uh, talking about today in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, is that of forgiveness. Forgiveness. Now, I have to say that one of the most wonderful doctrines in all of the scripture is the doctrine of forgiveness. And here in these verses, the Apostle Paul declares quite emphatically and quite clearly that in Christ and in Christ alone, we have full and complete forgiveness for our sins. Uh, Take a look with me just at the end of verse 13, where Paul says, Having forgiven you all trespasses. Having forgiven you all trespasses. That statement is in the past tense. It speaks of a completed action. You have been forgiven of all of your sins in Christ. It is done. You have full and complete forgiveness. And I have to say, in my own experience, that I think there is really no greater blessing in this life than to know that your sins have been forgiven. Amen. To know, without a shadow of a doubt, that your sins have been forgiven. You know, being here uh, this afternoon takes me um, way back. Um, Dave will probably remember this season of my life back in two thousand and. Uh, 2 and 2003, in which I wasn't walking with the Lord. I had walked away from the Lord. I was going my own way, doing my own thing. But I was raised in a Christian home and I knew the truth. I knew what was right, but I had chosen to walk away. But through a series of circumstances that the Lord brought about in my life, I came to realize some important truths. I had been in university in Manchester for a few years, living however I pleased. And life had become difficult because I had built a life that made me miserable. I had walked away from the church, walked away from the Lord. I was living for the lusts of my flesh, And I had become miserable. And I didn't know what to do about it. And I had gotten to the point in my life where I thought to myself, oh, if only I could turn back the clock. If only I could go back and and undo everything that I've done over the last three or four years. If only I could start again. If only I could go back to church. If only I could get right with the Lord. But I felt that I couldn't. I had walked away. I had sinned too much. I knew the truth, and yet I still did my own thing. It was too late for me. I had my chance, and I blew it. That's how I thought. Until one day, it was one night, in fact, in the summer of 2002, that the Lord brought a verse of scripture to my memory. And it was a verse in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. That if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And there was a moment, and I can picture it now, lying in my bed where I realized in a quite remarkable and profound way that that was absolutely true. And while I thought that I had built a life for myself that was too full of sin to come back to the Lord, when I thought I was trapped, when I thought there was no hope for me, I suddenly realized that that entire way of thinking was because I had built up a barrier of sin between me and God and I was not prepared to acknowledge it. And it was that night that I realized if I confess my sins, that's what I need to do. There it is. That's the answer. To confess means to agree, to agree with God, to agree with God about my life, my actions, to recognize my sin before a holy God. And that night I did. I acknowledged my sin before God. And you know what? I found that God was faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And here we are. What is it? 18 years later? 19 years later? You know? It's amazing what the Lord has done in my life. It's even more amazing what the Lord's done in Dave's life. You should have known Dave back in the day. Goodness me. But the simple truth at the heart of the gospel is that God forgives sinners. God forgives sinners. And it is a wonderful declaration that we see throughout the pages of Scripture. In our text, we're going to make a few observations in verses 13 and 14. Uh, about what really is the the doctrine of forgiveness. Uh, But before we just explore those two verses, I just want to set all of our minds on the reality of God's forgiveness in our lives. Let me read to you a few verses. If you're taking notes, you might want to jot these down. Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west. How far is the east from the west? Well, never the two shall meet. That is an infinite distance. That is how far God has removed our transgressions from us. That speaks of full and complete forgiveness. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. How white? As white as snow, as white as white can be. Full and complete forgiveness. Isaiah 55 verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. To what degree will God pardon us of our sins? Abundantly. You cannot out sin God. Full and complete forgiveness. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 12 For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and lawless deeds. I will remember no more. When will God remember our sins? Never. No more. Full and complete forgiveness. You know, it's interesting because, you know, many Christians insist on remembering what God has forgotten. I struggled with that a lot. But, you know, the highest court in the universe is God's court. He is the ultimate judge. And if God has declared that I am forgiven, what right do I have to hold those past sins against myself? Full and complete forgiveness in Christ. No wonder the psalmist declares in Psalm 32 verse 1, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Isn't that true? Blessed is he whose sins have been forgiven. Full and complete forgiveness. One more verse, Acts chapter 10, verse 43. To him, that is to Christ, all the prophets witness, prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive Remission of sins. Full and complete forgiveness comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And so if you're here this, mor- this morning, this afternoon, I'm going to do it all, mu- all afternoon, I'm telling you. If you're here today, we'll go with that one. And you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ by grace through faith. God has forgiven you of all of your sins, and that forgiveness is full and complete, and it is done. And that is the wonderful and glorious testimony of Scripture. And so with all that in mind, look with me at Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. The Apostle Paul says, and I'm reading from the New King James Version. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it, To the cross. Father in heaven we thank you. For your word. We thank you that your word is indeed living and powerful. And we thank you for this wonderful and glorious truth. That full and complete forgiveness. Is found in our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Father, I pray as we have your word open before us today, that by your spirit that you would speak into our hearts and into our lives, that we might be encouraged and strengthened, that we might grow in our knowledge and understanding of this wonderful truth that we have full and complete forgiveness in Christ. So, Father, we ask your blessing upon this time. Father, would you graciously bless your word to each and every one of our hearts, we pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, just to give you a little bit of context here in Colossians chapter 2, our text comes uh, in a chapter in which the Apostle Paul is addressing the situation that the Colossian church was facing with regards to false teachers. There were some false teachers that were circling the town of Colossae, and they were saying that if you wanted to be truly saved, if you wanted to be truly part of the people of God, if you wanted to experience uh, fullness in your spiritual life, then you needed Christ, yes, but you also need something else. You need something more. And they were teaching something that Paul referred to as philosophy back in chapter 2 and verse 8. They were teaching traditions. They were teaching rituals. And this is really the heart of all false religion you may have noticed that pretty much every religion in the world will acknowledge Jesus in some way or form. Everyone seems to accept Jesus or a version of Jesus. But the one thing that all false religions have in common is they say Jesus plus this. Jesus plus that. That if you want to be truly saved, yes, you need Jesus, but Jesus is not enough. There is something else. There is something more. And so the Apostle Paul is writing to warn the Colossians against those who would deny the sufficiency of Christ. Against those who would say Christ himself is not enough. And he made the point back in verse 9 that in Christ and in Christ alone dwells all the fullness of the Godhead. And therefore, if you are in Christ, all the fullness dwells in you. You are complete in him. You don't need ritual. You don't need tradition. You don't need philosophy. You don't need gurus or people or any of these other things. You are complete in Christ and in Christ alone. Look nowhere else. Do nothing else other than look to believe love and serve Christ. And so, he goes on in verses 11, really through to the end of the chapter, to expound what it means that we are complete in Christ. And the particular aspect that we are looking at, as we've mentioned in verses 13 and 14, is that in Christ we have complete forgiveness. Complete forgiveness. Now take a look at verse 13 again. And I want you to notice the contrast. There is a contrast of pronouns. Notice the you on the one hand and the he and the him on the other hand. Take a look. Verse 13. And you, that's speaking of the Colossians, of you and of me. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he speaking of God, has made alive together with him, that is with Christ, having forgiven you all trespasses. Notice Paul begins with you. You being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. You being dead. Now that doesn't sound good, does it? You being dead, that doesn't sound good at all. That's a very serious situation. That's the you. But then we have the he. You being dead, he has made alive. Now that sounds good, does it not? Being dead? No. Not good. But being alive? Very good, very good indeed. And so what he's saying here very simply of the Colossians is that you were in a bad situation a very bad situation a serious situation you were dead in your trespasses and sins you were lost and without hope in this world but he that is God in Christ has conquered sin and death through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and so you through faith in Christ share in the victory of Christ you share in the victory of his death and resurrection. You are raised together with him. In Christ, you are a new creation. Now, a couple of truths we need to grasp uh, here in verse 13. Uh, Firstly, uh, and most importantly and very seriously, is that apart from Christ, we are spiritually dead. Apart from Christ, we are spiritually dead. Now, if we want to understand the fullness of forgiveness, we need to understand what we have been forgiven for. And Paul begins here in verse 13 with this very important phrase, and you being dead in your trespasses. Paul says much the same thing, except he expands a little further on it In Ephesians chapter 2, in the first three verses, in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, he says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, speaking of Satan, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Now you read these verses talking about being spiritually dead, children of wrath, walking in the lusts of the flesh, following the ways of the world, Walking under the sway of Satan himself. This is very serious language. It is very sobering language. And necessarily so. Because these verses accurately describe the spiritual condition of every person before God apart from Jesus Christ. Apart from Jesus Christ, every person in this world is dead in their trespasses and sins they are born into this world physically alive but they are born into this world spiritually dead on account of sin now what does this mean to be spiritually dead well it really means two things firstly it means to be separated from god and secondly it means to have an inability to respond to god Let me just explain those two points. Firstly, it means to be separated from God. You know, all the way back in the Garden of Eden, when God created Adam and Eve, everything was good. God created Adam and Eve for his good pleasure. For relationship. For Adam and Eve to be blessed in their relationship with God and to live their lives in perfect obedience to God and to the glory of God. And there was that perfect union and that perfect fellowship. But God told Adam and Eve that they could eat of any tree in the garden. But there was one tree that they were not to eat. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, in the day that you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. In other words, if Adam and Eve were to sin their sin would bring upon them the penalty of death. Now, death in the Bible always carries this idea of separation. And so when Adam and Eve sinned, they immediately became subject to physical death. They didn't die physically straight away, but their bodies became subject to uh, the effects of sin, which would ultimately result in them growing old and dying. But they immediately died spiritually. They were immediately separated from God. And that was symbolized very powerfully and very literally in the fact that they were cast out of the Garden of Eden. Now, when a person dies physically, of course, a separation takes place. Their soul is separated from their body. To be dead spiritually means to be separated from God. And God, of course, is the source and the giver of all life. And if a person dies physically, while they are still dead spiritually, they will be eternally separated from God under God's righteous judgment in hell. And so this is very serious. This is, this is more serious than anything else. Death is a serious thing. But if we are to understand the wonderful value and blessing of forgiveness, we need to understand the seriousness of sin. And we must not minimize the seriousness of sin. And we must not sugarcoat the seriousness of sin. Or diminish the seriousness of sin in any way. It is because of sin apart from Christ, that we are spiritually dead. And spiritual death means separation from God. There's the second aspect of this, is really an inability to respond to God. And this makes sense if you think about it in terms of a physical body, a physical body that has died. If a physical body is is dead, and I don't know if you've ever seen a a dead body, but you can talk to a, a dead body and you're not going to get a response. You you can shout at the dead body, uh, and you're not going to get a response. You can sort of start pinching the dead body or banging the dead body, uh, and you're not going to get a response. Why? Because it's dead. There is no life. There is no ability to respond. And, and, And this is part of what it means to be spiritually dead, as Paul said, as we read in Ephesians chapter 1. It means that we are so locked into our sin that we cannot respond to God. We walk in rebellion against God. We reject God. We reject and cannot understand spiritual truth. Uh, We are lost in the sinfulness of our own flesh. We are drawn away by uh, the world. We are under the sway uh, of the devil. And we cannot respond to God and we don't want to respond to God we are dead spiritually speaking and we need to understand this uh, particularly when it comes to our ministry of of being a witness to christ because I, I i don't know you know i i speak to some people i was speaking to someone a little while ago and uh, they uh, well, a couple of weeks ago and uh, she has a, uh, a friend who she's been sharing the gospel with for, for years. A very intelligent um, lady, successful lady in many ways, and, you know, really nice uh, person by all accounts. Um, and, and, and the, the lady who is sharing with me was saying, you know, I'm just getting really frustrated. You know, I, I, just, don't, I just don't get it. I, I don't know why she can't see it. I don't know why, you know, she, she, can't, she can't respond. I mean, I mean it's sort of what's going on? I mean, you know, it must be me. I must, I must be messing it all up. I must be doing something wrong. I'm like, whoa, 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 calm down. You know, it's okay. It's okay. There is a reason why you're not getting a response. And that is because the person is spiritually dead. Now, here's the thing. What does a dead person need more than anything else? They need to be brought to life. They need to be brought to life. Now notice in the middle of verse 13. You being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcised in your flesh, he, that is God, has made a life. He has made alive. life. Who is the he? Right, it is God. Did you know that you cannot save anyone? You can't do it. Now you might think that if you come up with a brilliant argument, or you know, or you, you sort of find a particularly charismatic speaker, or you know, somebody that 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 will do it. But you know, you can't save anyone, and I can't save anyone. You can't raise the dead. I can't raise the dead. Only God can raise the dead. But you know what the good news is? God is in the business of raising the dead. God raises the dead. Now notice what he says. You, he has made alive together with him. That is with Christ. God has the power to raise the dead. God is in the business of raising the dead. And that means we who were spiritually dead are able to be made spiritually alive. And how can that happen? Well, it's in those wonderful words. Together with him. Together with him. With Christ. And this is what this whole passage is about. You'll you'll notice if I take you back to verse 9, you read the words in him. In verse 10, in him, in Christ. Verse 11, in him. Verse 12, with him. Verse 13, with him. How is it that we are made alive? How is it that we receive forgiveness for sins? It is in Christ. It is in Christ and in Christ alone. That is the key. You put yourselves in the hands of Christ. You receive him by faith. You confess your sins before God and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, believing that he was, and indeed he is, God who was manifest in the flesh. And that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. And that he rose again on the third day conquering sin and defeating death. And when a person comes to saving faith in Jesus Christ, they are quite wonderfully united with Christ in his death and his burial and his resurrection. When Christ died, through faith in him, we died too. Now, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but do you know how many times a person normally dies? Like, properly? One, one time, right? One time. Now, the Bible tells us that the wages of sin, or the penalty for sin, is death. Okay, death. So, death has one chance to get you. Okay, one chance. You die once. Now, you've got a choice. You can either pay that penalty yourself and die physically while you are spiritually dead. And you will pay the consequences for your sin for all eternity. And that will be your one death. But the good news of the gospel is Jesus died one death. But Jesus died not for his own sin because he had none. But he died for your sin and my sin. And we know that to be true. Because on the third day he conquered sin through his resurrection from the dead. And through faith in him. We are identified with him in his death. So the one death that we die for sin is is the death that Christ died for us. And because death has had its one go at us, and that death that we have undergone is a death with Christ, because Christ is risen from the dead, so too we are raised from the dead, and therefore death no longer has any power over us at all. We are identified in union with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. So that means one day when we die, we will go to be with Jesus. And we will be with him in his presence. And the Bible tells us in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Death no longer has any power over us if we are in Christ because we are alive together with him. And, and all of this is summarized wonderfully in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. If you don't know the verse, I'd encourage you to uh, memorize the verse. I have been crucified with Christ. There's my death, the, the one death that sin had, the one opportunity sin had, it's a death with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live... But it's Christ who now lives in me. It's the resurrection life of Christ. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. Full and complete forgiveness in Christ. Now, we have to move on to verse 14 as we kind of begin to sort of conclude. Because verse 14 is just so wonderful. It it, it really is. Take a look having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Now, two simple points here in this verse. Number one is that we are all guilty of sin And the penalty for sin has to be paid. That is the point of this phrase in the middle of verse 14. The handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. You see, God is holy. God is righteous. God is just. And a holy and a righteous and a just God cannot ignore sin, cannot overlook sin, cannot just sweep sin under the carpet. If God did not demand full payment for sin, he would not be righteous and he would not be just. And God cannot deny himself. And, and, and the basic principle here is something that I think pretty much everybody would agree with, the principle of justice. You know, if somebody broke into your house tomorrow and murdered a member of your family, the police came, arrested that person, he went to court and the judge says, oh dear, what did you do that for? Okay, not to worry, it's okay, uh, just, just you know, go on your way, just don't do it again. Now that would be horrific, right? You'd be outraged, and rightly so, because that judge would have been completely unjust because justice requires that those who break the law pay the penalty for their crime, and you see the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages or the penalty for sin is death. The righteous and just penalty has to be paid and this is the point that Paul is making here in verse fourteen the this phrase, the handwriting of requirements, and if you've got a different translation, it may say uh, something different. Um, but, but the term handwriting, it speaks of uh, literally um, a, a document upon which people write, a, a written document. And it's really referring to a, a written document that, that declares the reality of all of our sin. Because this written document, we are told, is against us and is contrary to us. To us. The term against us means it's actively opposed to us, or another way of understanding it is it condemns us before God. Contrary to us, the phrase carries the idea of a barrier that stands in our way. That is to say, this handwriting of requirements separates us from God, it condemns us before God, it separates us from God because it declares to us the reality of our sin and thus our guilt before holy god and 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 the term was used in a practical sense um, of a prisoner who would um, have a charge sheet written and his crimes would be written on the sheet um, and that would be the handwriting of requirements declaring him to be guilty or um, in a financial sense somebody who owed a debt you know they'd write down the debt um you you know you, you owe such and such so so much money And so the idea here is that there is a handwriting of requirements that's got all of our names on it. And it details all the sins that we've ever committed. Sins that we cannot answer for. Debt before God that we cannot pay. It condemns us before God. It separates us from God. It declares to us that we stand guilty before God. And so what do we do? How do we respond? Well, of course, we could just ignore it and hope it goes away. But that's not going to do us any good. We could say, well, yes, okay, I'm not perfect, but who is? And besides, I'm better than the person down the street, so I think I'll be okay. We could say, well, yes, okay, I've done wrong. But really, I'm a good person. And at the end of the day, I think my good deeds will outweigh my bad deeds. And, and, and I'm sure I'll be okay. We could even say, yes, I've done wrong. And that's very serious. And so I'm going to go to church, you know, every month. And, and, I, and I'm going to pray every day. And, and I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do that. And, 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 and if I do enough, then maybe God will accept me. If, if, I, if I do enough good work. But you see, the problem with all of those things is none of those things can deal with the problem that separates us from God. None of those things can deal with the problem of sin. And and this is the final point here in verse 14 that he makes. Is that while on the one hand, we are all guilty of sin and the penalty has to be paid. On the other hand, on the cross, Jesus Christ paid that penalty in full for us. Because notice what he says. Having forgiven you all trespasses and having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. You see, when we look at our handwriting of requirements and we see our sin. And we don't ignore it and we don't try and excuse it and we don't try and work our way to try and pay it off. But we look at it and we come before God and we say, God, it's all true. Yes, I am guilty. I am a sinner and I am in need of a savior. And when we acknowledge our debt before God and when we ask God according to his Abundant grace and mercy to forgive us of our sins, to to take away our debt. And when we acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the one who could and indeed did pay that debt for us through his death on the cross. When we confess, repent and turn to Jesus. The moment we do that, these wonderful blessings become ours. He forgives us of all our trespasses. He wipes out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. And he takes it out of the way, takes it out of his sight. It's gone. It's gone. And how has he done this? End of verse 14, having nailed it to the cross. Closing thought. I don't know if the Apostle Paul, in his before Christ days as the Pharisee saw, I I don't know if he witnessed the crucifixion of Jesus. There are some who thinks he, he must have done because he was a prominent Pharisee uh, around that time. Some believe that he was a member of the, the ruling Sanhedrin that condemned Jesus to death. But whether Paul himself saw Christ on the cross or not, there's no doubt that he had seen people being crucified. And, and what was the common practice for a person being crucified? is that they would take a a piece of paper, a piece of parchment, and they would write on that piece of paper the crimes that the person who was condemned was guilty of. And when they nailed the criminal to the cross, they would then nail this handwriting of requirements to the cross, hanging their crimes above their heads. So everybody who came past would look and would see this person who was condemned and they would say, that is their crime. They deserve to die. And I think the Apostle Paul is drawing on that imagery here. Because Jesus, you'll recall, had a piece of paper nailed To the cross, as it were, detailing his so called crimes. The king of the Jews, they put in a mocking sense. The Jewish leaders had accused him of blasphemy. And this was his crime, Jesus claiming to be the king of the Jews. Ha, ha, ha. And you see, the apostle Paul is looking at this imagery and he's looking at the cross. And he is seeing Jesus on the cross. But above Jesus, he doesn't see Jesus' handwriting of requirements. Because Jesus didn't have one. He didn't die for his own sin because he had no sin. Paul sees his own handwriting of requirements. That was hanging over his own head. But was nailed above the head of Christ. Our sin was laid upon him christ died for our sin he took that handwriting of requirements out of the way and took it upon himself nailed it to the cross and because he has done that we can have full and complete forgiveness The handwriting of requirements is wiped out as if it was never there. It has been taken out of the way. And we are able to be reconciled into relationship with God. Knowing that our sins have been forgiven. Knowing that God promises to never leave us nor forsake us. Knowing that the Holy Spirit of God dwells within us. To enable us and empower us to live the life that God calls us to live. And knowing that we have the blessed hope that one day we will see Jesus. And when we see him, we will be like him. For we shall see him as he truly is. And whether we go to be with the Lord through physical death. Or whether the Lord comes to take us home to be with himself. Whichever happens first, we will be with the Lord For eternity. That is our hope. That is the hope that we have in Christ and in Christ alone. Full and complete forgiveness. Blessed is the man whose sins have been forgiven. Amen? Amen. 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 Father, we thank you for your word to us today. We thank you for the wonderful truth of the forgiveness of sins that we have in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray you will bless your word to our hearts today. May me walk out of this place in the freedom that you have given us, knowing that you have conquered sin and you have conquered death and that we share in that victory. So, Father, I pray you'll help each and every one of us here today to walk in that victory this coming week and to do so for the praise and honor of your glory in this world.